Let us turn, please, in our Bibles now to this passage in the first fifteenth uh, chapter, First Corinthians, where the apostle says in verse twenty-two, "For as in Adam all die." Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. And then 45 also said, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. And so it is written, written, written. That's the book of Genesis. That's the first chapter. And God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. I'm happy to see so many families here tonight, these children, these young people here tonight. And I want to urge all the families of this church, on these Sunday nights in the summertime, get your children together, bring them here. If you have to bring a pillow, bring them along. If you need a bed for the floor, you can put it down. But bring your children to church with you on Sunday night. And let them hear the choirs and join in the prayers and hear the preacher. And more will seep through into their little hearts than you have any idea. And you families just bring everything you've got on Sunday nights here to this church. And of course it's nice here with this air conditioning. We can thank the Lord for that. But I want our people, when Sunday night comes in these hot summer days, let's go over to church. That's where we'll have a message. Some will be there. Dr. Garros may walk in unexpectedly. You never can tell. And there will always be something here for our blessing, for our souls, and you people need it. You need it. And as I indicated this morning, may I say to all our people that the lines are getting clearer, the, the break is more open, and I feel that this next year, just this from now until next spring, is about the most important year we will have ever had as a people and as a church. And I think we've got to get busy, all of us, and do something. We've got to work out some sort of an approach and some sort of a schedule and some sort of a program where we can reach all of our immediate area. And I'm going to ask God to lay it upon your hearts and our hearts to see if we can't really see this church work as it has never, never worked before in all the years that I've been pastor of this church. We have a tremendous responsibility on our hands because of what we believe the history God's given us and the special place where we stand now in these days. And the struggle's on, our days will soon be over, and now's the day to work. Tonight I'm turning to this text. I said last Sunday I preached on Moses. Tonight I'd preach on Adam. And then I think I announced that next Sunday night I'm going to preach on Noah. And then the following Sunday night I'm going to speak on King Cyrus. Now, next Sunday is the 4th of July, and a lot of people will be away, but I hope you, wherever you are, or those of you who are listening, will come and hear my sermon tomorrow, next Sunday night on Noah. And then the one on Cyrus, I've never spoken on King Cyrus, that has to do with Isaiah. And the reason I'm taking these four nights is that I want to establish in the hearts and the minds of all our people these great truths of our faith, refresh our minds concerning them. But I want you to recognize that this new element has now come upon us. We didn't have to deal with it before. Out of the state of Pennsylvania, the state court has ruled that it's all right for them to teach the Bible as literature and to say that Moses didn't write and David didn't write his psalms and uh, 
uh, Isaiah didn't write his books, and we got two or three different Isaiahs all mixed up, and the whole thing's been completely reorganized. And I got up on my broadcast and began to talk about it and give the story of how they ruled out Moses and tried to get some different authors, a J author and a E author and a P author and a D author for this Pentateuch. And then how they tried to reorganize everything, and I pointed out to you that there's no basis for it whatsoever. No basis for it in history, in any evidence, or any archaeology, any records, any documents. There just isn't any basis for it at all. The whole attack is speculative. Just come out of the minds of men as they did some speculation. As they didn't want to accept this or accept that. And so the entire thesis, the entire system is an attack upon the Bible as it is. And if you pick up the Bible and read it like it is, the way it stands, it tells you Moses wrote and our Lord says he wrote of me and it says God created Adam and Eve and then it goes on and tells us that Adam was our first parent and he disobeyed God and fell into sin and that's where death came from. If you want to know where death came from, the Bible tells you. It tells you where it started, how it began. It tells you the reason we have death. And it's the most wonderful thing, we got an answer to it. If you didn't have this uh, revelation, we wouldn't have the answer. We, we would be mixed up with legends and myths and tales and all sorts of things. But we have a revelation that God's given us. And we know where death came from. And we know that God made our first parent and they sinned. And uh, the human race hasn't been struggling up, up, up. The human race has been going down, 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 down. Our first parents were created without sin, and they were created in the image of God. And the unbelief of the world about us, which is ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, is trying to tell us man's struggling and struggling and struggling, and he's been progressing and progressing. The truth, so far as the Bible is concerned, man's getting deeper and deeper into darkness and into sin. He's getting further and further away from God. And this attack upon the scriptures that's come inside of our church and inside of the things of God in our day is, is something that they didn't have to deal with a hundred years ago. And now we have to deal with it. We not only have the job of saving the unsaved outside the church, we not only have the job of rearing and training our own children that they may be men of God as they grow up, but we have the problem of dealing with the awful apostasy that swept through the church and taking these churches off to another gospel, another Christianity, a, another kind of religion. And in the midst of all these problems, here we are today, beset, and then we have the pressures upon us which give us less and less money in the persecution that's coming upon us, and beloved in the midst of these days we need to pray God that he will keep us that he will keep us true and that he'll keep our faith and that he'll keep us steadfast because men are falling by the wayside and people are being deceived and deluded and as these latter days close and these dark days just before the coming of Christ you dear saints need to be with the people of God and you need to stay close to the word of God you need to read it and believe it and trust it and delight in it and pray Praise God for it as we've never done before. Now this week I was on the air and so Friday night this young lad came to me and gave me the book that was his textbook at Temple University. And it's the same thing. They're studying the Bible over there as literature. As a matter of fact, this particular textbook just reproduces section after section of the Bible for them to read. And then there's a little introduction to each section. 
And here's the introduction to the whole Bible, and it says here the Bible contains a wide range of writings, folk tales, legends, sagas, fables, riddles, songs, histories, philosophies, short stories, and biographies. And there you go. Folk tales, legends, fables, and the like. There you've got it. And then they come on over here and you get into the book of Genesis. And of course, the, the whole introduction opens like this. The first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, were long thought to have been written by one man, Moses. First sentence, first thing you open up, it's a required course. All the undergraduates, they, he told me have to take it. He had to take it. So he opens up the introduction. The first verse he runs into is that they used to think Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Now they know he didn't. And now they come on with the four different authors. Let's see. They've got the first author is yes, J. The second author is E. Third author is uh, P. And they got D in here somewhere. He's here somewhere. But they've got four different authors that wrote the book of uh, the Pentateuch. And then, beloved, of all the things, here they've got the book of Genesis for you to start reading. And it's compulsory reading. Compulsory reading. Compulsory course. Over at Temple University, right here. And this young man, he brought me this on Friday night. And he, I said, son, I said, uh, did you take the course? He said, yes. He said, I said, did you believe all this stuff about J.E. and P? He said, sure I did. He says, that's what they taught us. And he said, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it until I heard you on the radio. I said, son, you come over some morning. I'm going to interview you on the air. I just liked it. He didn't think there was a thing wrong with this thing. He, he just took it. He accepted it. It's what they taught him. And uh, so here it is. And I understand now I'm going to get more facts on how much money the University of Temple gets. I'd like to find out how much they get from the government. But I understand that they've come under state uh, uh, financing of some kind. And that's, of course, where we have our objections so far as the citizens are concerned. But uh, these Christian schools, so-called, they just all turned aside to this sort of thing. And the effect of it comes right into Adam. Adam. Adam was a myth. The whole Garden of Eden story is just a nice little tale that was manufactured somewhere along the line to give an explanation for these things and uh, it's not something that came from God it's just some folklore and there's similar folk, folk tales and uh, myths like this that have been gathered from other religions and it was just characteristic of the religions in these times that they did this sort of thing and the Hebrews they had their experience and uh, it unfolded and unfolded and unfolded and there never was anybody like Adam that's just, just a nice story it's never existed now, beloved, when anybody comes along and assaults that book of Genesis, the first beginnings as we have them, and they tell us that Moses never even existed, that Moses was never an individual, when they do that, they strike at the very heart of the whole teaching of the Bible concerning salvation. And when they do that, they strike at the very literal statements of our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and they know it and that's why it's done that's why it's done it's done to destroy faith in the word of God and it's done to destroy confidence in the plan of redemption which God has brought in the Bible in order that we might have everlasting life 
Now this is a serious thing. It's exceedingly serious. And we become involved in it and everybody wants to understand it. All our children must see it. All our young people must see it. Everybody must see what is at stake in this attack which is now being made and which is being financed now by our public tax funds. And if we don't have one problem, we have a hundred problems right now. If we don't have one serious issue that's developed that we didn't have 50 years ago, we've got a thousand of them right now. And it's only going to be the miracle and the power of God that's going to save his people in these last days. And it's only going to be the miracle working power of the Spirit of God that's going to preserve and keep some churches here which will be true to Jesus Christ in these last days. And as the world goes down its broad road with its materialism and with its sensual worldly lusts and pleasures, God's people are going to separate themselves to the little groups here and there which will worship him and which will obey him and which will teach their children the truths of our holy faith. And we'll preserve a witness and we'll be the people of God who have been separated and called out of darkness into the marvelous light and into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And we are called in these last days to be witnesses to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All right, now let's turn first to this passage in Romans. Will you turn with me first to this passage in Romans? In the fifth chapter of the epistle of Romans, we have the apostle Paul. He was an apostle. He was inspired of God. He commended the Christians in Thessalonica because they received the word as he gave it unto them, as it was indeed the word of God. And the apostle Paul is giving to us under divine inspiration this great and glorious epistle to the Romans. And in this uh, fifth chapter, he develops this marvelous doctrine and beautiful parallel between the first Adam and the second Adam, between the first man and the second man, between what the first man did to us and what the second man has done for us. And if you'll begin, please, in the 12th verse, he says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. If there's one thing that the Bible teaches, it is that one man started all our trouble. One man is responsible for everything that's come upon us in death and misery and calamity and judgment. One human being is responsible for what's happened to this human race. And we have the argument now in the position presented here by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all Death passed upon all men. Here's original sin. Here's original condemnation. And beloved, if death hadn't passed upon all men, then some of you people wouldn't die. But there's not a one of you listening to me that isn't going to die if the Lord turns. There are no exceptions. There never has been an exception. There never will be any exception. And this tremendous experience of death as the old reaper sweeps across 
the whole of humanity gathering into his garner every single human soul. Death passed upon all men. And then he says, because all have sinned. And it was the sin of Adam which brought the penalty and then the consequences of that sin in Adam and in his seed by natural generation that has brought sin upon the whole human race. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the whole doctrine of sin, everything the Bible teaches about sin, goes right straight back to this one man, Adam. He's a pretty important gentleman, ladies and gentlemen. He's a pretty important person in the history of the human race, and especially in the great plan of redemption as it's given to us in the Holy Scripture. Now, if you'll look at the next verse, for until the law... Uh, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where is the, there is no law. And he says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Well, was Moses a man? Was Moses a man? Well, if you just turn to the 11th chapter of Hebrews, by faith Moses, by faith Moses, by faith Moses, by faith David, by faith uh, Samson, by faith Samuel, by go on down to the 11th chapter of Hebrews, if you will. By faith, they were men who had faith. Moses was a true man. Now, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. And if Moses was a true man, then Adam has to be a true man if that statement's going to mean anything at all. And then, of course, he indicates that the law was given in order that we might be thoroughly more convinced of our sin, though sin existed. Now, verse 13. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, this is Adam, many be dead, much more the grace of God in the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, now, beloved, in that passage, Paul is talking about Moses as a man. He's talking about Jesus Christ as a man. He relates Adam to Moses, and he relates Adam to Jesus Christ. And you cannot possibly separate the connections or the association in that statute and in that passage. Now, you turn down just a little further, and if you look over in the 17th and the 18th verses, you've got the same line. For if by one man's offense... Death reigned by one much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came unto all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, that's Jesus Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And the whole argument of the apostle is that we fell in a federal head we fell in a representative of the human race, the first Adam, and we can be raised again, we can be redeemed again, we can be justified by the grace of God, by the work of the second Adam, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. And here in this great chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, we have again the same line of thought that is developed 
And in verse 22 we're told, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own tagma, his own legion, his own group. Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christed is coming, and then cometh the end when all the ungodly will be raised too from the dead. But beloved, at this point out in the university, the professor went on the witness stand and under oath, and I heard him. He said this was an allegory. This was an allegory. There was no Adam. It's just a nice allegory. And we should accept it. Well, beloved, I, I would love to talk to the gentleman, but I'd like to ask him if he thinks sin is an allegory. It's pretty real. Do you think death is an allegory? No, it's pretty real. Beloved, you accept the reality of death and you go back and back and back and back and back to where the thing started and you don't depend on some allegory and you don't depend upon some myth and you don't depend upon some legend you depend upon a perfect revelation which God has been pleased to give unto us to tell us exactly how it happened so that we may understand exactly how it's going to be corrected we understand exactly the way this thing came to pass. There was a man by the name of Adam. And he was made by God in his own likeness and his own image. And God did establish him upon this earth to be a prophet, a priest, and a king. He did give to this great first man whom he made without sin some great covenant relations and promises. God Almighty did all this thing to our first parents. And then when they sinned, they were put out of the garden with its light and with its truth. And they went out under the curse of God. Nature was cursed. The ground was cursed. The heavens were cursed. The woman was cursed. The serpent was cursed. And man was cursed. And men went out in his darkness to be ignorant and to struggle and to labor and to slave in that darkness without God. And all the misery that this old world has tonight, all the wickedness that this old world has tonight, goes back to that one great deed where our first parents disobeyed the living God. And beloved, the crime and the offense of offending God and repudiating God's word and disobeying God's law is the greatest crime that has been committed, beloved. Satan rejected God. He led our first parents in that disobedience. And here we are in our misery and in our death tonight. And the greatness of that awful sin and the darkness of that awful consequence is upon our race as we live on this little earth tonight. And yet we're told that where sin abounded and it abounded and abounded, grace has much more abounded. And so it is that God ordained that out of a second Adam, a new beginning, another one who would come who would be sinless, one who would keep the law, one who would be the Son of God, that God would reach down into this awful darkness and He then would lift us up by His grace and by His power and give unto us the treasure of everlasting life. In Adam we've sinned, in Christ we're saved. In Adam we die, in Christ we'll be resurrected. In Adam we're condemned, in Christ we're justified. I don't stand, sit around and permit these universities 
to teach all our young people that Adam was a myth and it didn't exist. I don't tend to sit around and be quiet about it. Now will you turn with me? Let's turn to the first chapters of Genesis. Let's turn to the first chapter. Turn to chapter 2. Very first account. Of course, you know, they tell us that that The first chapter of Genesis was written written by one author. The second chapter of Genesis was written by another. There's no basis for it all. I just try to point out that some conflicts or differences in them. But there's not when you look at them honestly and fairly and faithfully. But in the second chapter of Genesis here, we have a long section in which we begin to read about Adam And out of the ground, verse 19 it is, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. So Adam was given the responsibility of setting the creation in order and giving names to the animals, which he did. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. The rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Now that's a myth. It's just a nice little story. Somebody hatched up. Try to give us some explanation for the presence of the woman alongside of man. No, beloved. I believe it's the way God did it. That's the way he says he's done it. Have no questions, no qualms, no doubts about it, whatever. God gave us Adam, the man, and then God made a helpmeet. The two were put together. And the design and the order and the beauty and the plan of the whole program that God has ordained through Adam and Eve for the carrying on of the race and the filling up of heaven with saints is a beautiful and a glorious plan. It's a magnificent plan that God himself worked out and ordained. And how beautiful it is to read these things and to see that God has been pleased to tell them unto us. Then you move on down and you have the account in the third chapter how Adam ascended. Now he was uh, misled by his wife and both of them received the condemnation. And then, then we have the awful curse that falls upon Adam. And in verse 18 we read, Thorns also and thistles shall it bring, that is the ground, bring forth unto thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And that's exactly what happens. God has described it to us. You're a witness of it. Our bodies now, as we eat the food and the things that nature produces on this little earth in which we dwell, by his almighty power we're sustained, and then in the fulfillment of the judgment and condemnation that falls upon the race 
We live a very narrow span and we pass away. We pass away. And our bodies go back to the dust from which they came and from which God originally made them. I have no trouble believing it. But you turn to the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and turn with me now to the gospel according to Mark. And in the 10th chapter of the gospel according to Mark. And in verse 6 we read, From the beginning of the creation God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain but one flesh. Where what therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And that seventh verse, of course, is a direct quotation of our Savior from the word of the Lord as given to us in the very first chapter of Genesis. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. And then the ninth verse, of course, is the divine benediction of the New Testament which is used at the close of every one of our wedding ceremonies what therefore God hath joined together let no man put asunder why do they attack Moses to make Jesus Christ a liar Jesus Christ said Dad, you believe me you believe Moses because he wrote of me why do they attack Adam to take all this doctrine out and say it's just built on myths? And if they can discredit Adam, then they discredit Christ. If they can repudiate all that fell upon this race as a result of Adam's disobedience, then there's no place to tell anybody about the obedience of Jesus Christ. And the assault on Adam is an assault upon the whole plan of redemption. The assault upon Adam is an assault and a reflection on Jesus Christ. Now let me go one step further with it. I want you to see this. Why is it they don't like Adam? Why is it they want to put this thing in some realm of myth? Because they want to remove the guilt of sin from off the race of man. That's why. That's the reason. Man is doing his best to get away from sin and to repudiate it and to say he's not guilty of it. Do you realize that all this nonsense that you're reading today from these psychiatrists and these psychologists that nobody has any guilt anymore and the minute somebody commits a heinous crime anymore he's not, he's not guilty. We have to examine him psychiatrically and see whether he's responsible or not. Everything man is doing today is to get away from his guilt before God. And everything the Bible teaches is that man is guilty before God. And there's a court in heaven. There's a lawgiver in heaven. There's a judge in heaven. And there's a penalty for this law. And it's written in the universe itself. And the only way you can get deliverance from the curse is to look at the cross. The only way you can be delivered from this court of judgment is to find pardon from the judge. The only place you can be justified 
is at the hands of a merciful and loving God who's dealt with your sin and your guilt. On every hand today, it throw out the courts, discredit the courts, discredit the judges, downgrade their position, get rid of these ideas of forensic relationships with law and judgment and crime and disobedience and penalties. No longer do we have any penalties. Let's throw away the police. Let's get rid of all this. You ever hear anybody talk like that? It's getting rid of Adam. It's getting rid of the guilt of man. It's getting rid of the consequences of sin. It's getting rid of what causes you to die. And then you won't listen to this glorious message of redemption which there is in Jesus Christ. Oh, turn to this passage, 1 Corinthians 15. Turn back over to this passage for just a moment as I bring this message to a close. Oh, this magnificent reference that the Apostle Paul gives us in that 45th verse of 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, And so it is written. It is written. This is the great phrase. Do you remember when Jesus Christ was being tempted by the devil? He took him up to a high mountain. And the devil quoted scripture to Christ. But Jesus Christ quoted scripture to the devil. And each time Jesus Christ quoted from the Bible in answering the devil. And you know where he took his text? Deuteronomy. All three of them came out of the Pentateuch. And he said, it's written, it's written, it's written, it's written. And the appeal was that it was written in the word of God. It was written in the law of Moses. It was written. And now Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15, it is written, the first man, Adam. And I like that very much because every once in a while somebody comes along and he's supposed to be a scholar and he says the word in the Hebrew means man and it's just Adam and Adam is just an interchange for man but when Paul gets into the New Testament you know what he says? he says the first man and then he says Adam he says the first man don't get mixed up on these first men don't think that Adam was just some name for the first man somewhere or some vague thing that we put in here no Paul says the first man Adam the first man that walked this earth was created by God and we're told here he was made a living soul and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit the first Adam the first created the first man was made a living soul but the second one was made a quickening spirit. He came to redeem. He came to quicken. He came to give life. Now let's look at the rest of that argument. Verse 46. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. Here's Adam, native of the earth, the earthy. And afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. That's who we are. Of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, that's what you have right now, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. 
Just wait till this resurrection day, beloved. Just wait till the Lord shouts and the trumpet rings and blows and the dead are raised. We'll bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. And beloved, this thing which is corruption has to be made into incorruption. And the only power that can change the corruptible into the incorruptible is the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of God. And Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And I say to you people, we're Christians, we're believers. We look forward to a new heaven and a new earth. We look forward to a resurrection day. We look forward to the full and final triumph over evil and over death and the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death Jesus already opened the tomb and let us know that he's the victor over it oh beloved you go to these universities and they compel you to take a course in the Bible as literature and they introduce it to you by telling it it's myths and legends and um, Moses didn't write and Adam was a myth and when the students read it by the thousands they say well that must be it and what's the Bible? nothing nothing and we're trying to get rid of the Bible. We're trying to get rid of guilt. We're trying to get rid of Christ. We're trying to get rid of Moses. We're trying to get rid of Adam. We're trying to get rid of all these things. So you won't believe anything. And it's what you believe that determines where you're going to spend eternity. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And this is the salvation which God gives to us. Oh, let's bring others to Christ. Let's testify to them concerning this great salvation. As in Adam all die and you are all dying in Christ, we shall be made alive. And it's the Christ that we must preach. It's the gospel we must exalt. It's our generation that we must reach and try to preserve them so that they will continue after we are gone. All right, next Sunday night. I think I told you I was going to preach on David. Didn't I say that first? And I said I was going to preach on Noah. I'm going to preach on both of them. And then I want you to hear the sermon on King Cyrus. Don't miss that. Now let us pray. <clears throat> oh God, our Father, we thank Thee tonight that Adam was a real person. And someday we're going to see. Because after he sinned, he called his wife Eve in faith because she was the mother of all that would live. And, O oh, Father, tonight we thank thee that we are saved. We believe we're thy children. We're Christian. But it's dark outside. The world is seeking to crush our Savior. Tear up the Bible. Saying Moses never wrote about him. Take Adam and all that he brought upon the world in guilt and misery and say he never existed. Lord, they are assaulting thee. Oh, Lord, they are attacking the citadels of truth. Oh, Lord, they are denouncing thee and thy great and mighty power. And thou hast told us that the day would come when the kings of the earth would take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
And we see all of our youth and our young people being taught these terrible things that destroy faith and make it impossible for them to believe that thou hast really given us a book which tells us the way of deliverance from death. For Christ's sake, amen. that Charlie had a birthday today. Glad it wasn't mine. Charlie, I'm glad I'm not as old as you are. Lord bless you, I, I'm a little younger and I want more time. I'm anxious to have more time, but I want Charlie to have more time. But I had the greatest delight today seeing this man have a birthday. I used to think when a man was three score years and ten that he was getting up there, but I don't think so anymore. <laughs> you've got another ten years, another twenty years, and you've got lots more time. But all of you young couples and you young families and you boys and girls here tonight that are listening to Dr. McIntyre hold up before you the ministry of the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit of God come into your heart. And when He speaks to you to believe, you believe. When He speaks to you to be a preacher, you go out and be a preacher. When He speaks to you to be a missionary, you go out and be a missionary. When He speaks to you, you follow the leading of the Spirit. Say, here am I, Lord. Send me. 
Beloved, this is New Testament preaching. This is what built the church. And this is what built the home. It'll build the world. It'll build the eternity. Because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ which saves our souls. That is it. Now you heard a message tonight, and I must close. But a lady sent me a letter from way out in Vancouver. I think I said on the radio I was going to have some evangelistic meeting. You should see the illustrations I'm getting sent to me. But this lady sent an illustration, and I read it, and I thought, well, isn't this a good one? Who said there was one of the, there in Vancouver, British Columbia, fellow down on the street corner, giving out tracks. Giving out tracks. And he was given a tract which had in it a scripture verse, Prepare to meet thy God. Prepare to meet thy God. Good scripture. And the man came along, picked up one of the tracts, and stood there and read it, put his pocket and went on. Later on, they got the story. The man read it and he says, Is anybody foolish enough in this enlightened day to get out a thing like that, to prepare to meet thy God? Who's interested in anything like that? The man went on, and later on he was got home, picked out his pockets, and he ran in to prepare to meet thy God. And he said, well, who's interested in that? Kind of mocked him. He went to bed, he woke up during the night, and the old track kept coming back to his mind, prepare to meet thy God. He says, isn't that strange? That thing stays with me. Don't seem to be able to get rid of it. Next morning he got up to go downtown again, Standing on the curb there, right in the long came an automobile, bang, smashed into the curb, and it just smeared up his pants, but didn't hit his leg. And he trembled. He said, well, I guess maybe it is important. He says, I just missed being killed by a fraction. I just missed it, he said. And the man testified. He got down on his knees right there in the street and asked God to forgive him, accepted the Lord, and then this is the story he's told afterwards. Prepare to meet thy God. Beloved, the call comes to the curb tomorrow and where you'll be. And it's the word of God and the word of the Spirit of God that comes home to us. And every one of us are in the care and in the hands of the Almighty God. My, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have a revival shake this area like they did a hundred years ago? You people come under conviction and say, I'm going to straighten out this and I'm going to clean up this and I'm going to do different here and I'm going to dedicate my life to the cause of Christ as I've never done it before and we're going to speak to souls and let's ask God to save souls and get men born again. And oh, beloved, how the Spirit will move in our midst.